Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected, and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. This week, I'm talking with Barry Spencer. Here is a little bit from Barry. Like, yeah, colour this in, and then, like, people will colour... The, the kids will colour in whatever they actually want to, and then somewhere down the line, someone's going to be like, no, the sky's blue, like, trees are green, and, like, all that sort of stuff. And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they are. Or, or they notice it, and they're like, no, it should be that way. And then, like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Like, you can do whatever you like. Like, look at art and look at design and everything. Like, you can go against that grain too. And it usually ends up really, really pretty and really cool. Like, and but both so can both. Like, yeah, there's that sort of it's beaten out of us as kids to you know, no color in the lines, and you know, then it's perfect. I really enjoyed hanging out with Barry, but before I tell you about it, here is a quick word from our sponsor for this week. A brand new product to market, Roy Mink Company produced the highest quality of fresh mints you can find, and through a connection to local artists, have created an entirely different mint experience. Available only in select coffee shops, partner locations, and online. You can learn more at roymintco.com and share their journey by following Roymintco on Instagram. Barry Spencer is a speculative type designer who experiments with taking the Latin alphabet to create letter forms that rock people's conception of what the shape of a letter should be. Barry lives in Melbourne, teaches at the Academy of Design, and has completed his PhD in understanding and creation of Latin letter forms. Barry takes what is presumed and accepted and through small incremental experiments, opens minds to new possibilities. Thanks for joining me and I hope you enjoy listening to Barry Spencer on the subtle disruption of the Latin alphabet. Somewhere special, where's somewhere special? I'm like, well, nowhere that I go anymore, like I'm nowhere near all those places. Like Flagstaff Gardens was where during my lunch breaks when I was working full time, I would go up and read all my design books, my type books, trying to learn about what I needed to so I could start, you know, being a bit better at what I did. Yeah. And then like the other place was, I don't know, just a little weird cafe in Port Melbourne, again, in my lunch breaks, in my fourth year of the PhD, going and responding to all the examiners' comments and stuff like that. And so that became this sort of significant thing that every Wednesday I would go there, I'd do that. I'm like, I'm nowhere near Port Melbourne or Flagstaff Gardens now. (laughs) And then at work, um, I'm like, I'm not in there today, so I wouldn't really know where to go. Like, I don't know how busy it is when I'm not there. You know, rooms need to be filled. And then Heidi, when we discussed Heidi, I'm like, it's kind of just a cool place, but I've been there twice. So, you know, not real significant. But then I'm like, well, if you want to come here, this is where I wrote. PhD is where I make every, all my typefaces. It's where I'm comfortable. It's where I like to engage with. Like yeah. when I was doing the PhD, I'd sit here and like I get up early and I'd do Headspace, the mindful meditation thing yeah. at that time. And then I would put on a certain kind of music so I could read to it. And then in the afternoon, I'd go and write to a different kind of music because yeah. <laughs> I found one worked better for one and one worked better for another. You happy if we keep rolling and this is the interview? Is that all right? Yeah, Yeah. sure. (laughs) Just to cut back a bit, so to make it clear, we're in your house, we're sitting in your living room. Yeah, yeah. We're in uh, Baronia, which is, we're talking 
Eastern suburbs of Melbourne, out of eastern suburbs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yep. a good way to describe it. Yeah, sitting here having a cup of tea with you, Barry, which is I'm very excited about. There's a bit of a backstory to how we met, which we'll probably get into, but I'm curious about those two different styles of music that you use, one for creating typefaces and one for writing. Yeah, well, like I found that anything that I would get distracted by, so namely words, if I could understand the words, I would, if I'm reading, I'll get caught up in the music and if I'm writing, I'll get caught up in the music as well. So it ended up being like film scores or classical music or just basically ambient, like just different stuff, like the kind of stereotypical, you know, Beethoven sort of stuff. And like, but I ended up like a hundred best music scores from movies. Like is what I ended up with. Yeah. So you end up with like stuff from Harry Potter, but also like Star Wars and all kinds of stuff on there. And you just sort of, you know, it was in the background, but didn't interrupt. Yeah. And then with when I'm designing, yeah, typefaces and stuff, it's sort of the thrashier and heavier the better. And yeah, yeah, yeah like uh, anything from garage to like punk music to you know rock and heavy metal all sort of stuff. This is crazy. Just, I'll throw in a mix and just go with it because I don't know. I can get into it. Like it doesn't. It's not going to interrupt anymore. Yeah. Because it's. You want to be engaged, like with the other one trying to relax and just sort of take it in. The other one, you're like, just, we're getting it out. Yeah. So one's internal, one's external, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how I like to work in those two realms. Yeah, cool. So maybe if I fill in a little bit of that backstory, so of how we've actually come across each other. We've, I've mentioned on this podcast a few times, this Brett Mint business that I've got, got going. And I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Michael Peck who uh, is sort of a relative of mine as well and an artist and saying, do you know anyone that we can use to, um, we're looking for local emerging artists whose artwork we can put inside the tins and uh, could you recommend anyone? And he uh, suggested you because you were a colleague of his at, what's the name of the place? Where the you Academy, of Academy of Design. Academy of Design, yeah. When you first heard about it, what was your... Initial response. I Michael. didn't. I didn't really know what to think. Uh, really, like he's like you know, a friend of mine wants to put art in the bottom of tins, and I said uh, tins of mints, and I want to. I want to suggest you for it. I'm like, all right. From my recollection, from my knowledge, Michael didn't really like type, didn't really like grids until I started working at the academy, and not to take all the credit or whatever, but the stuff I was doing was weird enough to get his attention or spark his interest. And then yeah, he's like, yeah, would you do it? And I'm like. Yeah, I got a nasty habit of saying yes to a lot of things yeah. to, I don't know, not get comfortable. I don't like being comfortable because you don't learn. And, and that was one of those things I'm like, if I, didn't, if I said no immediately because I was a little bit put off or wasn't sure about it or anything, I'm like, no, how would I know what it would you know, do or lead to? Yeah. And now we're talking about this. <laughs> yeah. and, and so that's why I'm like, yeah, sure. Sounds fun. Like, yeah, it's my reaction to, well, I have to like what I'm going to do, but, yeah, it's, that's how it sort of came about. But, yeah, I was, I was weirded. I'm like, who wants to put art in the bottom of mints? Like, <laughs> seems like a strange premise, but a very cool one. Yeah. And I got a good response for it as well. Like, it's, Did yeah, you have it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, especially since you gave me the samples and everything as well, I'm like, taking them out of my pocket and I'm like, want a mint, want a mint. And people are like, why, you, why do you ha- always have mints now? <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, my art's in the bottom. I'm like, what? <laughs> So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it was it's awesome, been awesome to have you as our first artist as well. It's been we've got a really great response from it too. Yeah, it's super cool. 
So I'm going to get the terms mixed up, even though you've already described, you've already explained the difference to me. But you're a, a typeface designer. Yeah. How you describe yourself? Type yeah. designer, yeah. Type yeah. designer, yeah. What is a type designer and how does it differ from, say, well, how do you differentiate, you know, fonts, typeface is what I said then, type. Can you clarify those terms for us? Yes. And it, it sometimes can be a bit hard because there's diff- there's blurry boundaries on a lot of them and sometimes the same term gets used for two different things. But so basic terms, and I apologise to anyone out there listening who doesn't agree with this, but uh, <laughs> type designer makes type, makes a lot of forms, all sort of stuff. A typographer is a person who works with type and lays it out and does other things with it. Letterers build up sort of custom one-off things, like it might be a word or something sh- shorter, so not a um, complete alphabet. Yeah. And I classify as a, a typeface as something that, you know, I'm either manually typesetting or I've drawn out of all the letters, but you can't actually type it in the computer. Uh, like, and that's the usable product, so that would be a font to me. Yeah. So then, like, there is a massive sort of, obviously, history, big thing with this, and I actually just went through this in my class this week. But, like, you know, it used to be that a font was, like, a specific size of a specific typeface set in metal. So, like, Hel- I think the example I use is Helvetica Bold 12-point. And now it's been become the, the usable product and, you know, when you scroll down your menu on your computer and that's come from Sarah Hinneman. That's her book like, that I, I referenced for that one just to get that in. Yeah. I've got her name right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's known as the Type Taster or Why Fonts Matter, that book. It's a good book. Yeah. <laughs> Plug. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, like, was that, did that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And I can see, obviously, this, I mean, just looking around your house, we've got a coffee table in front of us full of typewriter or print. What I movable type, yeah, movable like, type, uh, yeah, lead. That's why yeah. it's got a glass thing on there, and we never let, our, let my kids put their mouth on it. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not good for you. No. <laughs> so this is, I mean, this is, and I, you know, I follow you on Instagram, and it's a such an integral part of your life. When did this fascination with type start for you? Can you pin, uh, a, pin a moment? I've said this like in my PhD and in a few interviews as well. Like I dabbled with type as part of other things in uni, like it was part of the grander project. And then once I graduated, I went off and started working. And I took part in a bunch of workshops by a design company, 3Deep. And it was called Everything in Between. It ran for 13 weeks. And it was like every Wednesday for a few hours in Curtin House on Swanson Street. Yeah. And every every week you go in and a new industry professional would give you a brief to work off for that one, for that three hours or whatever. And you had to answer it in that three hours, but you, there was no technology or anything. It was all done by hand. And 3D were quite type, you know, orientated and they did quite a few cool type things that uh, it meant that I sort of just gravitated towards trying some type stuff out that I hadn't really done before. And, mm. and I just sort of took to it and more and more things ended up getting answered by type and then they got us to do type projects within part of that as well and that were you know mentored by them or um, the visiting industry person. And from then I sort of just went, well, yeah, I kind of like that. I think I'll keep doing it. And so that was, yeah, my first year out. And then so that was 2005, I think. So that was... It's gone a bit crazy from there. Yeah. That was where it started. Like it was sort of, I enjoyed that realm. But then, like I was saying, I decided that I probably should read up and make sure I'm 
doing the right thing, which later on turned into something different entirely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the way I probably think about your work at the moment is that you're definitely not doing the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) What what is the right thing and why are you rebelling against that? Well, I, I think I said this when we spoke to the other day, and like the short answer is because we can. Like as creative people, we have that ability to challenge or question or experiment and, and try something out. But the right thing that I, I don't know, classify it as is doing what you you are expected to do, or making something that people expect to see. So for us, that if it was a capital A, you would get immediately a picture of a capital A in your head. doesn't matter what typeface or font or whatever it's in, it would still have the same skeleton. And yes, yeah, slowly but surely over a lot of experimentation, that sort of shifted and now it becomes, well, if I make this shape, this character, and I associate that sound with it or that meaning to it, eventually I will look at that and go, that's an A, that's, that's all sort of. And that's it's fairly... I don't know, not controversial or just, it's something you have to learn. There's an education process in there, like of being okay with it. So yeah, challenging those expectations is what I enjoy. That's the you know, sandpit I like to play in at the moment. But it takes a while, it took me a while to sort of get there because you do things that people don't expect or don't want or didn't think they wanted or didn't like, then you get a bit of feedback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, sometimes it's constructive, sometimes it's not, and you sort of work with what you've got. But, you know, I didn't start with a thick skin when it came to type, but now I sort of, I'm a little bit more open to it. <laughs> the first time you started to experiment, was there a little bit of, was there even a bit of trepidation within yourself, like I'm doing the wrong thing here, I don't think this is quite right? Yeah, the, the realm of safety was definitely still there. And whenever anyone's asked me this before, yeah, like the first experiments I did were like, you know, breaking one of the ascender, so the part that goes above the X height, breaking that into like a lowercase b would have, you know, a 90 degree angle at the um, halfway up. And then likewise for the descenders or whatever. And being okay with that. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. I can still read it as a, you know, whatever letter it was. And and then I'm like, oh, cool. Well, if I can do that, well, what if I tried putting a crossbar through every single letter? So every, like, the... B had a line going through the middle of it, the C had a line going through the middle of it, which kind of turned it into an E, but in its place it kind of made sense. And and I'm like, well, I can still read them. Well, what if I, you know, went off and what? And then I think one of the next ones I sort of did was, well, what if I wove each letter? Well, no, if I shifted the top half of the letter over two units, what would happen then? And then I started doing that. I'm like, well, what if I pushed them together and then they wove into the other letter? And it just snowballed from there. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I've made letters that are broken in half and then flipped on each other so that doesn't even look like a letter anymore. It's kind of cool, but I'd never get away with that. And then so I sort of stopped and I started going back to doing normal things. And... Because I was really getting into it, I went and spoke to a designer, David Pigeon, and he. I heard David Pigeon. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, and he he graciously sort of got me to come in after after hours, and he sort of I laid out all my stuff, and I was like really I I liked his work, and I was really inspired by it. And I heard him talk at uni one time as well, and it was a different kind of talk, which sort of again makes you pay attention. And I laid everything out, and he's like, Oh yeah. 
cool. And sort of like, he's like, I like that one, I like that one, and he liked my weirdest ideas. And I'm like, why? I couldn't get why someone would gravitate towards the weirdest stuff. And he's like, well, that's what people aren't doing. And, and so it was from there that I sort of, he said, go and find a focus, like figure out what you want to do, because I was sort of generalizing, like I was making type out of dots from based on for grid or whatever, but they look like normal letters that I just hadn't filled in. And every, every, that was kind of, I think, popular at the time. And just like uh, lots of lettering and stuff is popular now. And yeah, so I took that to heart and I went, okay, cool. Well, I should probably try and find this focus. And after that, I wasn't in my job anymore. And I decided to go traveling with my girlfriend. And while we were in Zurich, I saw a vandalized sign um, I think it was vandalized, but it had like parts of the letters, but I could still read what was going on. Yeah. I'm like, that's kind of cool. And I was immediately inspired to go home and make, oh, home, but like, to the hostel uh, and and draw in my new gridded notebook. And that's where one of my very first sort of weirder typefaces came. It was like about taking parts of the letter away. So I experimented. I actually did, like kept drawing A's until I got to a happy medium of, I can still see it's an A, but I've taken away heaps of content and did that for every letter. So it ended up like, based on what I had, like you end up with like, I don't know, 20 A's and 30 P's or like the more parts to a letter, the more let, like options you had. Mm. And then so that became a typeface missing and that was 2006. And it sort of spurred me to have, I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, maybe there's a question that I can ask. And that question at the time ended up being, how far can letter forms be taken forward or stripped back before they're no longer considered letters? And I ran with that for a very long time until I did my honours and PhD. Yeah. And now it's changed to something else. But, uh, but yeah, so, again, is that really long-winded as an answer to the question? <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> There's a few things I want to ask. So I want to talk a little bit about the topic of your PhD, what you delved into over yeah. those three gruelling years. I also want to ask about some of the reactions that you get. Maybe we'll talk about that first. But then the third thing is this process that you go through or you've gone through of allowing yourself to challenge the rules and experiment and increment. I think you've got over 80 different alphabets now. Is that right? It was 80 when we worked together. It's probably more now. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I do, I don't churn them out, but I, I sometimes get in trouble with this from a few people, like friends of mine, and, and they're like, you know, no, sit in that space for a while and actually they do something with the typeface and that's where like ones like Clara come out, like the cryptic crazy one. Yeah. But because I, I, I make it, I show people, put it on my website and I move on. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. Because it's that jumping off point that I was talking about. I was like, cool, I've done that now. What else can I do? Like it just, I get, I don't know, a rabid sort of need to want to know what I'm doing next. Yeah. Because I've always got, a handful of typefaces on the fly at any one time that I just want to sort of move on and then one takes too long and yeah. like it's just, you know, I go, oh, cool, yeah, whatever. Like I highlight them red in the folders on my computer. So like every year I've got these red things. I'm just like, I just didn't finish it and then I didn't finish that one and then yeah. they end up morphing into ones for like the year after. Yeah. But, yeah. What are some of the more memorable reactions of, on both extremes that you had to some of your work? Like, what are you bringing out in people? I tell my third years this. My favourite, quote-unquote favourite, was one of my first. And I often get asked well, if I sell my typefaces or if I make them into fonts, do I sell them? And I don't because they're experiments. They're just for me. Like, and I'll use them in stuff and I'll um, work with people to do 
either custom stuff or use my own because yeah. it's kind of fun to see it go out there. But at the very start, like, and this is something that I don't know, like, I don't know even know if a lot of people know it. But like, at the start when I wanted to do type, when I was reading all the books and, you know, trying to be thinking, I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the person that people would come to to learn about type and to know about it and all that sort of stuff. And then slowly, surely, I realized that there's a lot of pressure to that and I don't really want to, I, I didn't want that pressure. I, you know, being pressured about that didn't interest me. Just going through it and learning it was what became interesting. But yeah, at the start, I'm like, cool, I'll make these typefaces, I'll make these fonts. And I bought a program called Type Tool because I didn't really, all my stuff's limited set. So it's not all the punctuation, it's not all of everything else. It's yeah. like either only capitals or capitals lowercase and maybe numbers. Like it, it varies or whatever. But like, yeah. I keep giggling because it's terrible. At the very start, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make fonts. I'm going to make them weird and I'm going to do this. And I made a whole bunch and I put it up on a website. I'm not going to name the website, but I put it up on a website and it was quite possibly the wrong place to put it because they were, weren't properly my market, I guess. And But it was I was a student and you'd heard about certain places you could go to to promote your stuff. And I went, oh, that's cool. I've seen people I know promote their stuff on there. And uh, again, I've told, I just, I told someone this the other day, my students. And the, well, like the first comment I got was, can I swear? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm holding it back. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a very bad potty mouth. Like, yeah, someone commented, like, these are the worst fucking typefaces I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, wow. <laughs> All right. And I, 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 I spoke about a thick skin before. I did not have it then. And yeah. so I'm just like, oh, that's terrible. I should probably write back. But by the time I got back there, everyone's like, yeah, I agree. And fucking the whole thing just became spitting venom at me. Like, and I wasn't even doing that much, that bad back then. Like, I was just kind of changing small things. And people were like, what the fuck would we pay for these? Like, these are terrible. And I'm like, Wow! Oh, I should defend myself, but that's going to bring it all the way back up to the top of the feed. I shouldn't. I won't. I'm not going to do that. I'm just like, I'm just never going back on that oh, website God. again. I'm just going to crawl in my hole and you know and die for a while. But yeah, yeah, and it became a thing. I'm like, oh, that, you know, that's how am I going to deal with that? If I'm going to keep doing this, how am I going to deal with that kind of reaction? And and you get people who. Enjoy the traditional side of type, the, the clean layouts, everything being where it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to be doing. And, and that is pretty. Like, I look at that and I appreciate it as well. But, like, there are people that do that and do it really well. So I'm not interested in stepping on their toes. Like, I, I, early on I decided that, like, when I, even when I stopped selling, like, I sold some. I'm like, well, I don't want to add to that. I, you know, I already kind of can see the saturation of, things and and I'm like well if I just you know play in my own area and experiment and you know if it gets attention cool if it doesn't then that's fine it's me having fun and yeah once I sort of decided that and like that I didn't want to be that guy you know trying to make everyone know who he is or thing it was much more freeing or relaxing just to go about my business and that's led to a whole bunch of other stuff. It's led to jobs, it's led to, you know, taking on clients, it's led to all this other stuff and because it's, yeah, it's that ease of just, you know, doing it because I want to, not because I have to. At that, after you got trolled like that, did you, <laughs> was there a moment where you were thinking, I don't think I want to do this anymore? Yes and no, like I, I didn't see that as, 
you should, <laughs> it's, I, I use bad language, uh, harsh language, but like, yeah, I didn't say that as like, you should go on top yourself because like, you know, yeah. you, you, this is it for you. I saw, I saw it as like, wow, okay, that was a very visceral reaction to that. And then, you know, like hindsight, I'm looking at going, oh yeah, cool, it's the wrong website, it's the wrong audience, maybe they're more art-based or whatever. But no, maybe they just weren't very good. Like it was me starting out. And it's also, I, it could also be seen as, I'm onto something here. If yeah. I get that strong a reaction to something that I've just started doing, it might be something. Yeah, and, well, and, and I, I, I didn't have that kind of foresight back no. then, but like, yeah. But I just kept sort of going. Like I, I it probably did re- react in me not wanting to really sell them anymore. Yeah. But I liked just the thing of make, you know, having ideas and then just executing them and you know, gradually showing them. But like back then, like there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't that sort of stuff. And so it was forums and blogs and stuff like that that you would put it up at. And the very early, like hideous iterations of my website, like and. And my business cards, like, I think about it and I look at it, I'm like, but no, it didn't deter me. It made me feel like fucking shit, but like, it didn't deter me. I sort of just went, oh, oh, cool. Like, and over time I developed that thick skin. And like, it was by now, like, not that anyone listening should, like, I'm not, I'm not inviting it, but like, when I get bad feedback, as it were, like, I sort of just take it on board and go, all right, cool, maybe I need to. You know, articulate myself a little bit better. Mm. Need to reinforce that you know our the Latin alphabet. Those characters, those letters aren't going anywhere. Like it's okay for me to play over here. (laughs) I'm not trying to invent a new alphabet. I'm not trying to say what we've got is shit. I'm like, and this is this is way down the track. Like sort of calm knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. But like until I sort of came to terms with that, yeah, it was it was quite affronting and had I been anywhere anyone else or a little bit like different kind of personality or whatever yeah shit yeah I would have fucking stopped right there and just gone no cool I'm just gonna go back to making shit pretty yeah like and and then that would be it yeah I I think that's spot on and I think I start to think about you know kids at school who you might not have the same kind of resilience that you've got and who do start experimenting in whatever area it may be it may be in drawing, it may be in play, it may be in writing, you know, and just experimenting with ideas like you started to do with the alphabet, with type, and then get some kind of comment and that's kind of it for maybe a long time until they're able to tap into tap into it again as an adult, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's something I keep seeing like all these parallels like to how I like to feed this sort of process in my class or, or my classes depending on what we're doing. But like, and someone actually associated with, with Billy Madison not long ago, but like, yeah, that thing of like growing up and conforming as it were, like, you know, here, colour this shit in, like colour this picture in. And he opened the floodgates now, I'm going to swear a lot. Uh, <laughs> and um, like, yeah, colour this in and then like people will colour, like, the kids will colour in whatever they actually want to. And then somewhere down the line, someone's going to be like, no, the sky's blue. Like trees are green and like all that sort of stuff. And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they are. Or they notice it and they're like, no, it should be that way. Yeah. And then like, no, it doesn't fucking have to be that way. Like you can do whatever you like. Like look at art and look at design and everything. Like you can go against that grain too. And it usually ends up really, really pretty and really cool. Like, and, but both, so can both. Like, yeah, there's that sort of 
it's beaten out of us as kids to, you know, no, colour in the lines and you know, then it's perfect. What do you think that fear is, you know, that fear, you know, like the Latin alphabet isn't going away. Are people afraid that it is going to go away or something's going to be corrupted or it's going to compromise what they're doing in some way? What, you know, what, have you thought about what that actually is? (laughs) It's probably just me ruining everything. But like, (laughs) no, like, um, that's what I said, like, I, I don't like calling them traditionalists or whatever, but people, there are a lot of people that like examining, critiquing, analysing, whatever, letter forms and their beauty as they are. And, again, I'm kind of one of them. Like, I, I do say I'm not a font nerd as such. Like, early on I would get people, like, pointing out a typeface or whatever on a building and they'd be like, you know, what font's that? Like, trying to be dicks to me. I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I haven't committed everyone to memory. Uh, and, and, but I am a letterform nerd. Like, a lot of my typefaces have come from historical sort of forms. Like, I've got okay. stuff around Phoenician. I've got stuff around cuneiform. I've got, oh, yeah, I have mm. to say, say it. So I've only ever written. And, yeah, but, like, in terms of developing the Latin alphabet, like, it's been frozen for so long that, if we didn't see that, and that's where a lot of, like, not hate, but, like, a lot of affrontedness or whatever for my work comes from us, like, we're so used to seeing this form in our head that when we don't see that, it's wrong. Yeah. And, you know, that's, they are right. and they're, they're seeing something that's not what they should be using as communication, therefore it doesn't communicate anymore, and therefore it doesn't work. Mm. So it's it's gone. But, like... Again, like kind of slowly, like I wanted everyone to see this stuff and then it became sort of just about me and like challenging my creativity and expectations. And it meant that I would make an alphabet and I'd be able to read it. I'd be able to write it. And it would look nothing like what it was supposed to but because I'd taught myself. I'd, I'd looked at it over and over and over and over. I'd write it out over and over in one of my journals or whatever and it would be committed to memory. And no, I can't do it with every single one of my typefaces anymore, but while I'm working on it, yeah, I can, I'd be like that to the T. Like an early one that I've got called blank is proper just squares, like an A is a square, a B is two squares on top of each other, and then a C is another square. And so like, but when I was typesetting that, I would have to take the C from the third position in, even though it was a square and the same as every other lowercase letter, I would have to take it from there because that's, I don't know, my OCD, like I'd want, I'd need to. And yeah, but like with that typeface, like that's where I started getting one interest from people that didn't have anything to do with design or type because I'd, I'd typeset something in it and they'd be like, what's that say? And I'd be like, well, one, you didn't even know it was letters, so well done. And But then like the composition gave it some context, like they could see, yeah. I think at that stage I was going off the, you know, we can, we read letters by the shape of the word, not by individual letters. It's not actually the only way we read. Like we do a whole bunch of other stuff, but that's one of the theories of reading. And and then the same typeface I had written on something or whatever, and my girlfriend's dad had his glasses off and he could read it better without his glasses yeah. on. And then we put them on, it became gibberish again, but he took it off and it looked more like words and stuff. So that was all that sort of stuff I'm like, oh, and then that, you know, led me to try and do other things. But there, there is a funny side little story in there, like, as my girlfriend was studying at the time, like, they'd give her, like, challenging exercises to, you know, how do you problem solve? And and they gave her this this bit of text or whatever, and they're like, everyone, you've got 
10 minutes or whatever, who, whoever can figure out how to read this the quickest or figure out this problem the quickest wins. And because I'd kind of broken my girlfriend, she just looked at it and goes, yeah, it's backwards. I can read it. Like, and she could just read it normally. And, and everyone was like holding it up to a mirror and figuring it out. And she's just like, yeah, I can see it. Like, <laughs> and I think it was that sort of thing of like the teacher being oh, like sort of broken. But yeah, but yeah so that was, that was kind of fun, like having that influence. It's pretty interesting. And I think we talked about this last time as well, how language can possibly or does change the way we think and how it probably changes the structure of our brain as well. And what you're doing with the lettering, I imagine, has a similar effect to people. Like is opening, like what you're saying with your father-in-law and you can see it without his glasses when it's blurry and better when he can. Like how, how fascinating and how, you know, if you weren't playing with this stuff, this would never be uncovered. And I think we talked a little bit about the film Arrival. I don't think you've no, have you seen it yet. Still so haven't seen it. I'm still and, waiting. Um, but yeah, I was really intrigued by that idea. I'm only I only know one language. I only know English. But that idea, which doesn't give the film away, by the way, but, uh, <laughs> it's a little teaser. <laughs> English. Uh, <laughs> but that you know, in learning another language, it actually can change the way we think entirely. And I'm maybe that's a question for you about you know, do you think? your way of thinking has changed in, because of the, the lettering that you do, because of the type, different types that you do. So. It, it definitely makes me create different things. Yeah. I'm sort of trying to go in my mind chronologically, like in terms of like another early one that I made was called Spiral and I woke up at like two in the morning and went, hey, what if I could read the letter like from four different axes? So it didn't matter if I was you know standing upright, lying on my side or upside down or whatever. I'd still be able to read it and I made the letters like with my light on like trying to be quiet and like drew, I drew it then and there and yeah like it just all sort of stems from that what if like what if I did this or if I did this then that and they're sort of like you know exploratory questions and but yeah like every time I do that it becomes normal like that's that's a thing now and then I can use that to go somewhere else and it's how you end up like again, through the PhD, like the three main chapters of it cover my early experimentations, like, you know, what, where, when I was safe. And then the second part is, well, then, you know, that shifted, what if I tried this? And then because of those, it became the, well, what if I started from scratch and what would I do? Like, what if I wasn't committed to anything or if I wasn't swayed by anything, would that change how we create? Because it is a thing, like, you know, if, if you're constantly learning or being told or whatever to do something a certain way it becomes fact and and then it was sort of like well all right cool I understand that but what if I didn't and it was a big sort of question and people got hung up of like no you can't do that because the way we write the way we create things that's altered the letters so if you take that out then all of a sudden nothing's there and then it's like well language also influences how we write everything and how we understand it. And I'm like, well, yeah, cool, I'm taking that away as well. And so it's like, yeah, if I had a blank slate, what would I do? And that's where you get some of my more weird ideas that probably aren't going anywhere, but it means that I'm at least thinking about it instead of dismissing it. Yeah. And that's the, that's the fun part. Yeah. <laughs> this. Does this way of thinking about things translate to other areas of your life as well? Like, do you find yourself doing things the wrong way instead of the right way? <laughs> other, you know, experimenting, testing in other spaces. I think. Well, I think 
the most obvious application of that is like well, one my students but two like my daughter Polly like I got told very very early on that I wasn't allowed to teach her one of my typefaces because I didn't want to make her illiterate as well but um <laughs> like, she'd be like these are letters come on teacher and they're, they're like no they're not they're gibberish but um but even now like you know she'll do something and where someone else or a sane person or a teacher or whatever would go no 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 this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what happening. Like that thing that I'm saying was beaten out of us. Like it's just, I'm like, all right, cool. I'll try to promote that. Like you've done this thing that's technically wrong. Cool. I still like it. Like it still looks really cool. And I've noticed that when I have, like when I have corrected her, you, you do every now and then, not very often, but every now and then notice that, oh, I was just trying to have fun. Like I was just trying to drop. And then when you don't do it, you notice the, you know, Hey, cool. He liked it. Like, and then they move on. And then, you know, if they do it to themselves, fine. But uh, if they, you know, if you're the one doing it to them, it just seems a bit, I don't know, meaner and harsher. But yeah. and that's that's where I like made. Um, I keep pointing everyone in the house because that's where I create. Yeah. Uh, but like, that's how um, one of my typefaces, Trey, came about. Like, and that's Polly's typeface. Like, I I wrote the letters on a piece of paper, put a line underneath them, and said, "All right, Polly, can you draw that?" And then she drew some weird random configuration based on what she saw. And then I went through the alphabet. And obviously she did it. She got sick. She got bored of it about G and just kept doing circles. And I'm like, no, no, do it properly. <laughs> uh, and, and then so I had a few pieces of paper to sort of get different iterations of it. But I loved it. Like it was because what she was seeing was right. Like that was, oh, he told me to draw, well, she doesn't know it, but he told me to draw an A. I've drawn an A. Done. Move on. Yeah. And so I, I, I ended up vectorizing it and putting it together with an alphabet, but putting my clean version underneath. So like I just you know, smoothed off some areas and, and, and so it was a collaboration. And, and then like that turned into something, I'm like, oh cool, maybe I'll do that every year. That's really cool. Mm. But then I had to do it like a couple of months ago because I noticed that her development in six months was fucking crazy. And I'm like, well, now she can write her name. She signs all of her paintings like with, with the right things. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And so Trey Intra is what I called it. This showed that six-month progression. And I might still keep doing it every year, but knowing her, it'll just, you know, plateau out and everything will be boring. But like, you know, <laughs> that'll be just what I would expect. And then I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's good, but not fun anymore. So, you know. And you're at an institution. So what are you actually... What are you teaching your students? Are you teaching them what you do or what they're supposed to do? <laughs> kind of somewhere in between. Like I teach them what they're supposed to do, like in terms of like there's that old adage of like know what you're supposed to be doing before you, or know the rules before you break them. Mm. So that was what all my reading was when I started getting into type. I wanted to know what was going on. And that's how I came across, like eventually came across like people like Vim Corral, like uh, who did a uh, an alphabet called the New Alphabet, which responded to a cathode ray tube and like a lack of curves and the bit of science behind it. It's one of my favorite typefaces. Like I've got it tattooed on me as well. And I've got all kinds of things tattooed on me. In that research, like, yeah, I learned what I should be doing and then that sort of gave me a basis for, and again, that rebuttal of what the fuck are you doing, this is the worst, going, yeah, I know what's supposed to happen. And then, like, because some people always, <laughs> like, I've had all these interactions, I've had people try to trip me up, like, you know, you know you're supposed to do it this way, right? And I'm like, yeah, 
I know that, but I don't have to. Like, uh, it's okay if I don't. Like, I'm not going, the world is not going to fucking blow up because I didn't do this. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I, I, I hope I don't sound or come off sounding arrogant or whatever. It's more just being okay with it. Like, again, mm. so that's a process. You have to learn to be okay with it. And, yeah, like, so with the students, like, I, I'll, I'll try to teach them what they're, you know, the good way and the, mental, the way you're supposed to be doing stuff. But then one of the things that I do when I work is, like, especially when I had, when I worked more on client briefs and stuff like that, I would be that guy, like, finishing a little bit too early, like a, a week early or whatever, and then I would start again. And this happened at uni and everything as well, but, like, I would start again because there's that freedom of, all right, I have something that works, that answers the brief, does everything perfect, but then what would I do now? Mm. If I didn't have that in my head anymore, what do I do? That second thing is usually the thing that they go for or, like, because you might show more than one option, and the thing they go for because you've created it from that place of openness. And so I try to build that in the students. I'm like, try to finish earlier. Try to do this, and then they'll come to me with this really cool idea. I'm like, yeah, cool, but like all right what if we did it this way and sometimes it gets pretty frustrating for them where like I'll keep giving feedback because I'm not allowed to like it's my job uh, until it's finished but they I do get really cool stuff out of them when they when they feel a little bit more all right fine I'll just try it and like and then then they get kind of pissed at me like fine it looks better Uh, (laughs) and then uh, and then that's and that's a good thing like uh, I'm not like pointing in their face going see like I'm not well like cool awesome like let's keep moving let's go go on with that but the more inquisitive ones know what I do and I don't know how they feel about it but like they might they I think there is an element of curiosity as to why I get away with it yeah. or how it's useful, how it's viable and all that sort of stuff and where it could go and what it can do. And for a lot of it, yeah, it's, it might not be monetarily viable or whatever, but it's creatively viable. viable. It turned into a, you know, 80,000 word, it's pointed up there because it's up there. <laughs> it, it turned into that and, you know, I, I got a scholarship to do that. So, like, you know, the uni paid me to do that. And, and yeah, it becomes more of a methodology of trying something out because it's okay and how that transforms us as creators is, you know, unseen yet. Mm. Uh, so, like, my process, yeah, I do it for type, but... Other people might be able to do it for photography. You might get told to do for that in a certain way. You might get told to do art in a certain way. But like, I associate with all the different art movements and design movements. It's someone somewhere along the line going, "Well, what if I didn't do it that way?" Like, and that's you know, you get everything being super decorative and Art Nouveau and all that sort of stuff. And then someone come along going, "No, I want it to be really clean and simple." And 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 then that stays around for a while. And then someone else goes, "You know what? I fucking hate clean and simple. I want to mess things up and do something different." And then that's where you get like all this sort of stuff that sort of came around the my interpretation of what happened in the '90s, like grunge type and digital stuff. And then someone, goes, yeah, I might mix those two together and you know see what happens there. And you know that that's the fun. Like yeah, that's how you get abstract art. That's how you get expressionism. That's how you get. Uh, all that sort of stuff, and yeah. and yeah, again, the world didn't end. We got cooler shit for it. <laughs> I really like how I've got a story that kind of paints the opposite picture of this, but I like how you just started dabbling in this stuff, and there wasn't a real. Is there a job at the end of this for me? <laughs> you know, like what's the uh, what's the career path if I start dabbling in this? So you, you just started dabbling in it, and that was the focus, and it's naturally things have, have come your way because of your curiosity and enmeshment in this in this interesting experimental approach. I used to take my son to Kinder Circus in Fitzroy and he absolutely loved it. And they just 
And I still like taking him because I guess I never went to something like that. I used to go to quite traditional sport kind of things and I thought circus is a bit, it's a bit out there, like uh, a little bit, not totally out there, but for, you know, learning very different kind of skills like handstands or jumping on a trampoline or, and one of the ones that they did this particular day was to hold a peacock feather in their hand and just see if they could keep it upright with their palm facing upward and open see how long they could, you know, balance it on their hand without it falling over. And they were doing this for, you know, 10 minutes and just having an absolute ball. And then one of the kids came outside and was, I think he still had the feather because I got to take some home and he was showing his mum. And, and he was so joyful, like, in doing it. His mum's comment was, mm, that's not going to pay the bills. <laughs> it's just like... It's like a four-year-old kid who's just having fun balancing a feather on his hand. Go get a job. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think but that's, that's not an uncommon, maybe not so explicitly stated all the time, but I think that's an implicit thing through most activities that kids do, right, all the way through school. It's like, well, is there a job at the end of this? And not so much, am I curious about this or Am I just interested in seeing where this goes? I think I really admire that and about the way you went about it. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. But it was a weird sort of thing. Like, yeah, it was. I'm going to try this, and then all right, that's fine. I'll keep going and do that. And and yeah, like I didn't, I I didn't plan, set out to be a come a teacher. Like, I speak to some of my friends from uni now, and some of them are like, yeah, that fits. And then other people are like, they're like, really, you? <laughs> like, uh, like, like, because. You know, obviously you change over time and, yeah, that sort of is this going to earn money and all that sort of stuff. And, but, yeah, I'm more interested in the just seeing what happens and, and just doing it. Like, you know, if I waited for it to be safe and comfortable, like, yeah. I wouldn't be doing it. And, like, it started out, like, I was curious to just to teach, like, just to do, like, taste sort of stuff, like get a Cert four or workplace training assessment or whatever. And then that became... Well, what if I did a PhD like, or went back to school and did a master's or something like that because I heard that that's how you could teach in uni. And then once I digged a little bit deeper, they're like, no, it seems like the trend is to go for PhDs like, because then and you can teach anything. Uh, you can teach any level. And, and I'm like, yeah, okay, well, fine. Like, you know, I might do that. And then, but way before this, like, the guy who became my supervisor in the end, like I saw him speak at a um, a conference and uh, in Melbourne, and it wasn't like me to do this kind of thing. Like especially at the time, it is now because I'm you know a little bit better at it. But like I went down and I introduced myself to him. His name's Anthony Carlin, and I said, "Oh yeah, I liked what he said. It was kind of fun." And and then I thought nothing of it again. My my crappy business card at the time and then the next day or something or a day or two after he's like emailed me and he's gone I like your work it looks cool like, when you want to go back to uni let me know and, and I'm like oh cool like because uh, he was I don't know what position he held at the time but and I'm like yeah cool but no no fucking way am I going back to uni uni sucks like I, I I'm glad to be out of there and like now I'm like well no uni was awesome like uni was fun like you get to experiment you can do things but you can do that outside uni as well yeah but you know going from prep through to third year, you do want to get out because I had no breaks in between. And yeah, like, so I went off and did my own thing, worked in studios and did, you know, freelance work and got everything done. And then when the opportunity came up again, like, he, he ended up calling me. It got to a point where I went, 
oh, yeah, cool. No, I think I want to do that now. And I called him up and he's like, yeah, I'm going overseas. I can't do it. Like, I'm, I'm going to become the dean of a design school in Ontario. And he's like, no, it's not going to happen. I'm like, oh, cool, no worries, worth a try. And then I just went, yeah, keep going on. And then uh, he eventually got back and was taking up a position at um, Charles Sturt in Wagga Wagga. And, and he's like, yeah, you're still interested. You want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, sounds like fun. And then, you know, I had to you know, leave my job and everything to do it. And that was a you know, daunting, daunting ass process. But, and then I had to go do honours because of, I'd only just done, you know, third year and you can't do postgrad without doing a little bit more further education. And so I ran and wrote this, or I did my honours and I'm like, do I even want to do this? Do I want to do this? Like, is it going to be all right, and I kept doing all my experiments, and then what I ended up writing from that was a thing called the essence of Latin letter forms. It was me just going, you know, the, following that how far can letter forms path, and yeah, like it came to that sort of head of like, oh yeah, cool. Like the first year was about reading philosophy and or people's critiques of philosophy and how you would respond to them. Are they right? Are they wrong? And then I'm like, hmm, that's kind of fun. And then like I would read more about it and, and got into it. And then the second year I wrote like an annotated bibliography or uh, second semester I wrote like an annotated bibliography. The next year I wrote like a 13,000 word dissertation on the essence of Latin and forms and how that's where I got to the, well, if you keep associating that meaning to it that's when it becomes a letter other than that it's a graphic mark like it's not doesn't have that meaning and again people might not agree with this but it's where I got to and then based on the response to that and how I wrote it that was the proof that I could do it further like with the with the PhD so I didn't even do a master's in the end I just went straight into a PhD and I loved every second of it. It was awesome. <laughs> I want to do it again. Like, I, I flirted. That's so grueling. I flirted the idea to my girlfriend, and she wanted to stab me the other day. Like, uh, you know, I'm like, let's do it again. And she's like, no, no, you're not doing it, which is fine. It's totally understandable because I'd be around way too much for her. But yeah, and so, like, I don't know. Like, that's a whole another anecdote of like just doing the PhD. But yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't. I was you know, okay with being unsure. Like I said, like I got the advice somewhere along the line of like you don't learn unless you're in an uncomfortable position. If you're comfortable, you don't do anything. You don't try. You just go, cool, I'm going, you know, I'm going to work, going home, going to work, going home, going to work, going home. And the end. And yeah, I suck of a punishment when it comes to trying something new and doing it. You're about to, I think you were saying you're going to self-publish your PhD, which is pretty cool. That's the idea. Well, you put it into words now, so I have to. But like, <laughs> but yeah, like that's the idea. Like I, I, I have, because it is a PhD and people tend to view PhDs as, I don't know, like you go, I read my PhD, people might you know, roll back in their eyes and go, oh, no, don't make me do it. But like I tried to write, I wrote it like I wanted people to read it because yeah. you, know, you hear along the line with, you know, a handful of people will read it ever, maybe, and that includes your supervisors and your examiners and you and maybe your parents or whatever. And I kind of wasn't interested in that and I, I wanted to write it like someone would want to read it and, and that's what I did. And, but even then it's still in that academic formula, like it's, you know, chapters start by saying, this is what I'm going to talk about. And then they end with, so this is what I did talk about and I'm going to talk about next chapter. Like, and so there's a lot of, uh, it's called, I think it's called scaffolding that um, happens and you know, approaching publishers and everything for it. Like they understandably 
wary because they couldn't picture what it would be. But yeah, like I've got enough people over the last couple of years since I finished it going, when can I read it? Where is it? I want it now. And like some of them I've sent to PDF too, but I didn't want that to become the easy answer. Like, yeah. like I can just keep sending PDFs out, but it's an ugly ass word doc and no. <laughs> like I want this thing to be pretty and, yeah, and, and it cool. Needs to be, doesn't it? Yeah. And I wanted but I wanted to turn it in. I wanted some someone's help to edit it into something else because I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't really want to take too many wrong steps because then all of a sudden it's, you know, messed up or I take the wrong thing out. And with a lot of PhDs, it like well, a PhD is kind of proof that you can do it and then you leave it and you go and do your job you do something but mine was always that sort of I don't feel like it's going to date because it is a more about a method of like transformation of trying and experimenting and doing to alter what you think you should be doing and and yeah so that I'm, I'm a little bit lucky there but but yeah, so now I'm thinking about you know publish or on demand or whatever print on demand, and if people want it, they can get it and and everything. I've still got to lay it all out. It's a big book, but hopefully that happens really soon, and then I've got other plans once that happens. So yeah, <laughs> which I don't know whether to say or not because again, then it puts it into words yeah. and it makes it reality. <laughs> and and you, you, if I don't do it, then all of a sudden you know it becomes. Crushing public failure. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to. I've got, I've got two questions as we wrap up. But before we wrap up, how can people find your stuff, or what's a way to, you know, see for themselves what you actually see? Do? What the hell we've been talking about? Yeah. Uh, like, okay, so the like normal way is my website, so you know, barryspencerdesign.com.au, and then otherwise I'm specular type on social media. So. Yeah, I don't know. You can Google it, I guess, or it'll be in like show notes or something. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people like put specular and type and, and it's like, yeah, a silly name, but it's what I named the, the thesis and it's sort of a hint at something. But, yeah, this, those two main places are probably cool. good because, yeah, yeah like I, I'm pretty – I like to upload stuff on Instagram because it's visual. Like I was on yeah. Twitter for a while and it was all words and people were like, what are you talking about? And then, you know, you'd start putting pictures on there and it just wouldn't work, but I liked Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the two questions that I wrap up with, the first one is about something that you'd like to be part of disrupting one day that you're not actually disrupting at the moment. So something you daydream about being part of. And I guess the context, I'm trying to frame the podcast a little bit differently this year in that around two things. One is how to live well in this moment and the second thing is how do we in this moment create or start to create the kind of place we'd prefer to inhabit over the next 20, 30, 50 years. So with that kind of mindset, I suppose, you know, what what's something you'd be like, you'd like to be disrupting that would help create a place that you'd want to inhabit more than this one? <laughs> Right. I don't know, like it is, the shittier answer is that I, I feel like I'm, just by doing what I'm doing, I'm kind of already engaging in it. Like I yeah. think that freedom, like that, that, that it's okay. Like just, just try it, just do it. Like, you know, uh, in, in terms of creativity and and everything, but like, and that that's, that's it. It's that disruption of, like I'd be happier seeing people happier doing what they're doing than... Going, yeah, yeah, cool. You know, I, 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 I'm doing it because it will get me money, or I'll do it because it's safer, or 
you'll give me work or something like that. Like over the years, I've interacted with a lot of people, like designers who are like, they will do something, they'll get attention for that. And then that's the thing that people will continue to ask mm. them for. Mm. And it's that trade-off of if I say no, I won't get work or I won't get paid. If I say yes, I'll feel dirty, but I'll get money for it. And then that begins that snowball of, you know, feeling kind of bad. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. If you're describing yourself as, yeah, it's good, then, you know, is it as, you know, nice or are you as happy or whatever doing what you're doing? And so, I don't know, I, that's something that I, I, it's not me disrupting something that I am not already, but just, I don't know, when people complain about what they're doing or their job and all that sort of stuff, it's unfortunate. Like, I never thought that I would like not working some of the days and lots of stuff and not having like a constant stream of money coming in and everything, but you adapt, you get used to it and you mm. sort of, it becomes the, the reality and it's some people's like nightmare, but then, you know, we're talking today, like, and I'm not at work and it's okay. And it's Tuesday. Yeah, it's, it's Tuesday. And, and like, yeah, early on, like I, you were supposed to work nine to five. Well, not in design studios, it, it can vary wildly. Yeah. But some studios either enforce it or promote that, you know, work around the clock. But yeah, like, I guess that, like, you know, just, just helping people either do something they wouldn't otherwise be trying to do or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I've given a talk on, like, how I got through the thesis because I had writer's block for a very long time and, and how I broke that down. I think we spoke about that yeah. the other day. And yeah, just the act of saying that out loud and putting it into some sort of tangible, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and all I did was break it down to the point where I could, I, say, I could say, oh, yeah, I can do that. And that, oh, I can do that, just changes your perception of it. If you're going in going, do everything today, and then you're sort of like, oh, no, I'll go play PlayStation. And, yeah. and I have done that, and I still do. But, like, you know, like, oh, if I'm trying to force myself to do something, then you don't do it as well as you could. Mm. So there's that disruption that I'm interested in helping people out with. And I talked to, I'd say that's my third year, is like, you know, there's kind of right and wrong answers, but there's less right and less wrong answers. Like, you know, do you go out and get a job immediately after work, uni, or do you go and travel and have some experience? And then they're like, I don't know, I want to go traveling, but I need to get a job so I can, you know, get some income and stuff. And I'm like, well, those of you that go out and get a job, you're going to be, you know, qualified. You got to get the job first. You got to get in the job, and then if the other people go off and travel for a year, then you would have been one year in industry more than them, more qualified, more you know adept or whatever. But you wouldn't have done anything, and you're going to get sort of itchy a mm. little bit earlier. And then the people that go off and travel, they might have a harder time getting a job when they get back. But they've done stuff. They've gone somewhere. They've mm. experienced a different culture and everything. But now they're on the back foot. They're like, no, well. For design industry, for I'm not. I hope it's not the same way, but like from what I hear, it still is. But one to two years experience you need to get most sort of lower entry position. And yeah, like I, the disgruntledness of that when I was going through a uni of like, well, how the fuck do I get the one year if no one's going to hire me to like do stuff <laughs> like that? And it's just and it's simple now. Like graduates cost money. They don't they don't do anything. Like that's you're learning again to mm. be efficient and cost effective to a business and. It's only after that sort of process that, you know, things get more tangible or foreseeable in terms of money and stuff like that. Like, yes, I'm worth this much and I can do these jobs. But um, 
but yeah, so I, I, like I said, just disrupting that. Well, what if you, you know, did this? Be okay with the decisions you make, I guess, would be the disruption. But really long answer. Don't know if I got the right one. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I got a couple of thoughts about it. One little thing that I do, like you're saying, I, I can do this. Sometimes I just tell myself, this is easy. This is actually really easy. And then if I'm blocked, you know, or, or something, or I think something's really hard and I just can't get to it. I'm like, I just tell myself it's easy. And then often I'll find an easy way to do it. I'll just start doing it. It's a little trick that I sometimes use. Yeah, I was going to say also, I was going to say the other thing was when I've had career breaks, like I've had two big, two massive diver diversions in my career. One, I had a gap year in my 30s, which my first gap year. Mm -hmm. The second, or that, that was the second one. The first one was going from working in IT consulting to running a co-working space in Sydney. And both times, obviously, massive drop in income, especially on a gap year, and doing completely different things. And both times I was kind of told that it would impact my career, or maybe I told myself that it would impact my career. And it did impact career, my career, but in a, like, and both times in, in such a positive way, like in terms of how the experience and the expertise and just the, the way of being I brought to my opportunities after that because I was so, so much richer in what I'd experienced and knew and seen. It's like the first time I developed a bit of street smarts for the first time in my life and the second time I, I think I knew a lot more about who I was and what I could bring to a particular circumstance and, yeah, so, I mean, I guess I'm trying to encourage people that might, you know, might be weighing up that kind of thing about, well, will this be good for my career or not or will this kind of experimentation just because I'm curious be good or not. I think it's really harmful in the, uh, in the long term or in the medium term. Well, see, there's two things to that. Like, okay, one of your episodes that I was listening to the other day, and you guys were talking about Stefan Sagmaster yeah. and taking the gap year or whatever, and you're like, so there's people out there listening to this who are screaming who this name is. And I'm like, I was one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, um, but like, yeah, like but at the same time, like, like these things, like, yeah, just from what I get from what you were saying, like, just just try it. Like, it, it, it's okay to do it, like, and see, like, it, it's okay if you start losing money or that you don't have as much money because you will adapt to that level or whatever. Yeah. But like, you know, there's like there have been across the path of what I've been doing. Like there are have been points where you know I didn't get something, and then because I didn't get that, something else happened. Mm. And then those workshops, like that I did for three D ages and ages ago, I could only afford them because I didn't get accepted for honors yeah. and got a job. I started working in a studio. So like if I'd got honors, I wouldn't have been able to afford to do them or I might not have heard about them or something like that. But now it's like <laughs> shaped most of what I do, like in terms of well the, the swift kick in the ass to even start trying it. But but yeah, like it's it's a strange one. Like, you know, there's this part of me that wants to do a whole bunch of stuff now. Like, you know, I, I want to see my type into I think I said this the other day, like in you know, video games and movies and, and shit like that. But at the same time, put on, you know, the, the professor hat or whatever and you're like, well, I kind of want to know what, more about cognitive psychology or look more into that and how people interpret my signs in general. So, yeah, like just to do it, I guess. Like, just yeah. try it out. Like, and, yeah. and that's, that's, the, that's the disruption. Yeah. Be okay with disrupting. The second question is about you, more of a personal question and about 
a subtle disruption or something small that you've changed in your own life that's had maybe over a long period of time a big impact or maybe in a short period of time a big impact, but a small change that you've made that would be interesting for other people to hear about as well? Recognising that, like in the, like, Pints or whatever, recognizing that full time work wasn't my thing. Yeah. I enjoyed everything about it. And once I went freelance, the one thing I missed the most was turning around and going to someone, hey, what do you think of this? Because yeah. there was no one there, it was the wall. And like, so, like, I don't know, that, that leap. Like, I, I, when I left my job to do the honest thing, I went and worked in a video store. It was fun. I worked at the video store. I know a shitload about movies. So, like, I was the perfect place, person to go there, getting that fucking question of do you know the guy who was in that movie that one year and I would know the answer <laughs> like uh, and, and that like but being okay with that, that that subtle disruption of all right if I do this I'm taking a hit but I want to try it I want to see what happens and and so that has been kind of a big string of okay like this jumping like and and it leads to stuff like it it's and if it doesn't pay off, then cool. You, you're still employable. Like, you're still fine. Like, you're not yeah. going to be out of work so long that you're useless. And if you are, then you just figure out a way of making yourself useful again. Yeah. Like, I never thought I could write a PhD. Let alone fucking enjoy it and want to do it again. Like, I, I'm, that astonishes people. Like, they're just like, what are you talking about? Like, either I hated mine or, like, I can't even fathom writing that many words and reading that many books and doing that much stuff. And it's like, well... I knew what I was doing, like in terms of like I had a purpose. Like at the very start I was talking about, I knew that in the morning I would come here, I would sit in this where I'm pretty much sitting right now and I'd put on my music and I'd read until lunchtime and then like take notes and, you know, get my quotes or whatever. And then I would go to lunch, have some lunch, and then I'd go into my office and I'd start to write. And if I couldn't write, I would type out those quotes that I just found as the sort of act of doing. And... I don't know, like I look on it now with such rose-tinted goggles of like, this is brilliant. Like I want to do that again forever. <laughs> and it's not, it's not really viable as such. But like, you know, it sparked it. I didn't know I wanted to write and now I want to write a lot. And other things get in the way, like kids or whatever. But, you know, kids only get in the way as much as you let them. And then putting into practice everything I've been talking about, like, you know, the, the PhD typefaces that are in there like they finish in 2000 and like 13 or something i think that's the latest one in there it's 2017 now i've made a whole bunch of other ones since there but it's based on that theory mm. of you know what today i'm gonna play in the sandbox of knowing what people are gonna be able to read what i do and then the next day i'll be like well no i'm cool that was too comfortable i'm gonna make something that i have to figure out what it says like it's really awesome like finding people who are trying to figure out that Clara typeface and the encryption on that and trying to do that. And, like, they've kind of got no incentive. Like, it's, like I've said, I'll give a set of my grid booklets to them if they figure it out. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, it's, it's being stressful for them. Like, and they're like, well, this is not, this is bullshit. You can't do this to us. Like, tell us some answer. I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> it, it, this, is the, this is the challenge. Like, and that's... Most of what I do is just challenging myself to be able to figure it out or get through it. Yeah. And whether that's an action in life or, you know, part of my work. Like, yeah, you don't know you like kids until you 
have them, but I don't really like other kids, but I like mine. <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> but yeah, like it's, it's that sort of, yeah, that jump off that. Try it out, do it, see what happens. Like, it, disrupt. Barry, it's been awesome to chat with you, mate. No worries, thank so you very much for having me. In your house and uh, sharing all about your work. It's really cool. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I have a question for you. Is this something you would love to tinker or experiment with just because you're curious? If you feel like sharing your thoughts on this question, feel free to post something on the Facebook page, through Twitter or Instagram, or even by sending me an email to adam at subtledisruptors.com. And of course, please let me know if there are subtle disruptors you think I should know about. Coming up next week, I'll be talking with Caitlin Cook about Tantra and mindful sexuality. I'm Adam Murray, and I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected, and resolute in your own quest of subtle disruption. Bye for now. Okay, so this is a little bit of a postscript question, <laughs> which will hopefully splice in some way, but maybe it'll just come after the last two. It can be a little bit of a, a little bit of a disruption to the standard formula, but <laughs> you reminded me of, a, of something we started talking about when we were sitting in the cafe a few weeks ago and about, you can probably even ask the question better than I can, but we started talking about, well, where... You know, humans are going to be traveling to, to Mars in the not too distant future. Humans are going to be possibly living on Mars. Humans are probably going to be living for extended periods of time as well. In the context of where we're living right now, like where do you see the alphabet uh, type going? Well, see, I, full disclosure, I am a sci fi, science fiction sort of nerd. Like, I, I've made typefaces based on time travel and paradoxes because I could. And so, like, knowing this sort of, I don't know, evolution and technical push to, you know, the universe or whatever, like, uh, I'm really interested to see what would happen when it comes to that because why should we immediately assume that what we're taking is the Latin alphabet? And, like, it's had a lot of development and progress and process knowledge and stuff, but so have other languages. And, you know, you got the International Space Station, and I think I heard something, it might be totally inaccurate, but, like, they get the people up there to not speak their native language or something mm. like that. Like, um, if there's Russian and English, then the English people speak Russian and the Russian people speak English to make sure that there's no miscommunication or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or something like that. It's most definitely wrong. But like, uh, but that sort of thought of, well, if we go to Mars and everything, it's not just going to be English speakers or English people going there. But So what happens to type and alphabets? And this is a language question, like what languages come with us? And I think I mentioned to you last time, again, the nerdiness coming out, like a, a show called Firefly where there was a mixture between Chinese and English in that show, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, and I said that like most of the show, the show's you know, spoken in English, but then they swear in Chinese, which I thought was fun. <laughs> yeah. But like I've met typefaces where you mix different, different languages in with the English language. So I've made a Japanese like a Latin version of Japanese with the same sort of flourishes. I've, I've made typefaces that I know are meant to be the Latin alphabet or like our alphabet or whatever, but kind of look Chinese. So like I'm interested in that mixing of things together, but you get that sort of stuff with like Panglish and, and all this thing of phonetic alphabets and, and mm. everything. But that development, that, that floats my boat of the not knowing what's happening, but having to be 
kind of universal about it. Like people did toy with the universal alphabet back in the like 1930s and everything. It kind of went away. But that seems super interesting to me, and I want to do that. And that sort of starting from scratch, like that will be the marker, like of all right, we're we're going out, we're doing this thing. The marker is this is what we know now. None of that matters anymore because we have to make it work out here, and that's fucking cool. Like that sounds really cool to me. And that's what you want to start dabbling in? Oh yeah, like I would definitely like do that. Like I, again, it's the not knowing. Like I'm not scared of the not knowing what you would come up with or how long it might take or how hard it would be. Yeah. You know, like it's that's fun. Like that 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 lack of knowledge is fun to me. Like yeah. Yeah, just try it, see what happens. Like and part of that might be going over. I think there's some people that I mean, it's a it's a common thought I suppose that in the future learning another language will not be necessary because Google Translate will take care of all that for us. And I start to wonder, I don't know if that's true. It might be true from a, from a practically we could get away with just never, everyone only ever knowing one language and letting Google do the rest. But back to that idea of how language shapes our mind as well, I wonder what would be lost in that or the, the opportunities that would be lost. And, you know, thinking about what you're talking about there, what, yeah, what could be gained by having this blank slate and um, creating something completely different? Mm. Like splicing it all together, but do we need to splice it all together? Do we take the main ones that are from here, but then you piss off everyone else who doesn't use those? And then, or more importantly, those are lost. Yeah. Like all the spoken languages that have died out because they weren't written down, uh, all that sort of thing. But like, but like one of my earliest engagements with this was like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the Babelfish. Like, uh, and um, and I'm like, that sounds like a fucking cool idea. And then you get Doctor Who with the TARDIS, you know, translating every language for you. And and again, so yeah, super nerd coming out. But like, uh, it's yeah, that sort of I don't know what it should look like means that you won't have any uh, sort of build up or preconceived notion of what it does. And so like, then it becomes that question of. You know, not what you should be doing, but what you could be doing. Yeah. And that's that's where the fun is. Have you read, you would have read Snow Crash, I imagine? No? No. Ah, it's a sci-fi. There we go, I'm, ruining everything. That uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm three quarters of the way through at the moment, but it's quite, um, It's I guess one of the premises of the book is around um, how language shapes our brain and shapes who we are as well. And it actually talks about the Tower of Babel back in, you know, biblical times mm. and um, this idea of a virus. Um, anyway, I'd be, uh, I think you might like it. Yeah, there's a recommendation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>